0: Good morning. morning. Good morning. This, this morning we're going to uh, to move into chapter five of uh, First Peter. We'll be looking at the first four verses. We'll be finishing this book up two more weeks after this one. I'm going to take it in two two more sections, so we'll be finished uh, with First Peter. Um, I sent a little note in to to Mark and to Steve and told them where I was and said. Can I keep going in Second Peter? And they said, "Go." So I didn't get fired. So we'll we'll, we'll continue straight on into Second Peter. So uh, uh, we're going to be looking at verses one through four this morning. Next week we'll look at uh, five uh, five through eleven, and then we'll take the closing and kind of a summary uh, at, at in, in two weeks from two weeks from there. Before we uh, get into this, I. I I went through and I checked with everybody and I got the correct dates for the public service announcement that I had all the wrong dates for last week. So, well, not all the wrong dates. I only had one wrong date, as it turns out. But at any rate, just so that you know, there are two uh, new small groups beginning. Um, coming up Uh, the first one is the fundamentals of the faith which will begin which will begin the 15th of march which is a week from wednesday Uh, it'll be 6 30 here and it's going to be meeting here uh, here at the church in the fifth and sixth grade room and i have no idea where that is down there over there oh up above oh it's, it's upstairs so you get your exercise with this one because you get to climb stairs as well so it's 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 uh both 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 and this is a this is a really an excellent study if if you're a new believer um you, even if you're an older believer and you want to just uh like like every sports event has to do review review the basics you know just go through them again and and make sure. So at any rate, uh, that's an excellent one if you want to if you want to go there. And then the other two small groups will be starting in April. Uh, they both are going to be on the 13th of April. Uh, one, one uh, David, is going to be leading, which is, which is a sermon-based study, which kind of enhances what you learned on Sunday, again, uh, reinforces that. So that's an excellent, an excellent, that would be an excellent study. And then the, the other study that's also, and I don't know where that one is going to be located, I guess we'll, we'll know by April. Right behind us. Oh, it's going to be in that room behind us there. Uh, and then Galatians, there will be a study on Galatians that will be in this room, also starting uh, at 6.30 on the on April 13th. So that I've got the correct dates, finally, at, at, at any rate. So I've done my duty. We're done. Okay, good night. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're going to be going into Galatians. Or excuse me, First Peter, chapter five, verses one through four, the exhortation to elders, and uh, in this in this text. Uh it seems like he makes an abrupt switch but he really doesn't uh, this follows logically uh, what he's been talking about he's been talking about he's been talking about churches that are facing persecution they're facing suffering not all of them not everybody but this large group of congregations to which Peter wrote to some of them certainly are and he's pointed that out through this uh, through this text they're not necessarily facing they're not they're not facing martyrdom at this point, he's, he's, he made mention earlier in the text that they haven't suffered to blood yet, in other words nobody's killed them yet uh, and there's a big yet there, uh, but uh, but uh, um, but he but they certainly have per, uh, have have faced uh, ridicule, uh, the seizure of property. He's talked about that, uh, various other forms of of uh, uh, of of insult and, um, uh, and 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 just being treated badly um, is is the, the idea that that has been going on, and so as he comes to a conclusion on that idea, now he goes in. What is going to be The front line of attack of all of that, well, it's going to be the leadership of the church. And who's going to have to be strong? It's going to be the leadership of the church. So it makes a logical step now to go into some practical exhortations. And the first exhortation is to the church leadership. The second exhortation is to the congregation in general. And uh, uh, they're quick, they're snappy, they're fast. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. I will, uh, but uh, uh, maybe. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate, that's that's where we're going as we uh, as we hit this part of the text. So, <clears throat> okay. So we're going to look at uh, verse verse one. I kind of uh, included the word shepherd in with uh, in with uh, verse one. Uh, it'll also have to go with verse two. But nevertheless, it kind of makes sense if you. Pick up that part of it because it's what the exhortation is all about. But anyways, he begins by saying, "Therefore," and the "therefore" is basically there to tie us back to chapter four, uh, back to verses, uh, verses primarily verses uh, twelve through nineteen, where he's talking about the degree of suffering. And he goes, "Therefore, because of this suffering, because of this persecution that the churches are facing, therefore, based on uh, based on those ideas." He is saying, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God uh, among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly according to God and not uh, not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, uh, shepherd appears, you shall receive the unfading crown of glory. So that's the whole text. So we'll look first at verse verse one and and, and then the word shepherd as well. He says, therefore, calls us to reminder uh, uh, that the recipients of this letter who are suffering this persecution for the sake of righteousness. Uh, so therefore, therefore, Peter sees a necessity to, first of all, exhort the church leadership. I was kind of thinking that, in a sense, what Peter is saying here is, hey... When the going gets tough, the tough need to get going, and and that that's the idea here. You've got to stand up. You've got to take your place. You've got to. uh, This is where leadership is really tested. Is when uh, when when trouble comes. This is where this is where you have to make your stand and and show who you are. That's that's kind of the idea that Peter is calling them to. He says, "I exhort the elders." This word, exhort. Is the word paracleto, which is uh, uh, a form of Paraclete, what is which is used for the used for the uh, the Holy Spirit in John fourteen sixteen and seventeen, where he says the Comforter will come. And in, in the LSV it says Advocate, but it's that word. That's that's the word that is used there. It means the one who comes alongside, and that's what this is saying. He's saying, I'm coming alongside you, elders, to say these things to you. It's the idea of helping someone, to go in a certain way uh, by encouragement, or even compelling, if, if necessary, is the idea here. And that's what Peter is doing. I'm coming along here to direct you, to give you some, some, some encouragement, uh, to, to follow a certain pattern And and that's what he's going to lay out as he goes through this. This is what I'm exhorting you to do. And he and he says he says to the elders, the presbyteros, the in this case, it's the plural. uh, He says he says that group of God gifted men who God appointed. To lead the church—that's that's the idea. That he, that's who he's talking to here. Uh, we just recently went through a whole list of the qualifications for an elder, and they're they're stringent, and they're not they're not they're not. Uh, uh, materialistic if you will say in, in that sense or they're not the business model of what a leader is they're all very very spiritual they have to do with spiritual maturity it has to be with people who who know scripture and are able to communicate scripture and live it out That's that's the idea of who these men are supposed to be, and he says, "I'm, I'm encouraging you. Uh, I, I, I want you to. I want you to follow the pattern that I'm going to lay out for you, uh, Elder." El, uh, there's three terms throughout Scripture, and and unfortunately, in our modern church, in the, in the New Testament church, they didn't have a problem with this; they understood it. But in the new in the test in the churches today, uh, some of these words have come to mean denominational leadership uh, for example presbyteros is used obviously presbyterian that's where they get their that's where they get their name rule by elders that's what it means unfortunately it doesn't mean rule by elders in the sense of the local church it means an overarching Denominational body, and then the another term that is used very often we see is overseers, which somehow became bishop through the ages. Uh, that's not a New Testament term, but but it is certainly a term that that word has come to mean. Uh, uh, and that, that that's the word that's the word episkopos, which basically means to look over, to oversee. That's what it means. Supervise is kind of the idea of that word. Uh, obviously, that's come to be a denomination too. Called the Episcopals, and that's ruled by bishops, and it's once again a hierarchy, a kind of kind of idea that that uh, that is that is uh, that is that is put there. The the third word that is used is poimen, uh which is a word that means that means shepherd in Greek. That's what it means. It means shepherd. It's come to mean, and it's used this way in Ephesians four eleven. It's come to mean pastor. That's basically. Uh, the English English-sized Latin word for appointment, uh, pastor, uh, but that's the idea—a shepherd uh, of a shepherd. Those three terms, and they're used interchangeably. In fact, Peter is going to use all three of them as we go through this text this morning. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Good question. What about elders? That, that's presbyteros. That's oh. the first term. Elder, oh. elder, overseer. And pastor, sorry, I lost my train. Sorry. Sorry. Duh. Anyway, 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 those three terms, the, the three are also used uh, by Paul in Acts twenty, uh, in verse seventeen. He he calls the Ephesian elders to him. That's the group of men he's called. He's called the Ephesian elders, and in that he charges them in verse in verse twenty eight to oversee the flock of uh, to oversee the the assembly pastoring or shepherding the flock of God, and he does that in terms of the coming false teachers that will infiltrate, and we know from our studies in, in, uh, in Ephesians, or uh, uh, in Timothy, that uh, 1 Timothy, what Paul is writing to is Timothy, sending him to Ephesus to clean house, to fire bad elders and hire good ones is is the idea not literally in those terms but you know what I mean uh, and, at any rate that's what he's saying here That's this is who he's writing to the, the term elder if you look at the qualifications and you look at elder you realize it's talking about the spiritual maturity of the individual the character of the man In in church issues character counts it counts most it counts. And and that's what this talks about. Elder talks about the character, the spiritual the spiritual uh, maturity of the individual. Overseer talks about their general duties. It's kind of an it's kind of a a broad term that covers the duties of the elder. He oversees the church. He watches over it. It includes things like guardianship. Uh, the protecting of doctrine, uh, the care of the well that really the next word it tells you more of that one but it, but it talks about primarily that's what Paul is talking about in, in acts twenty he's talking about being guardians. Of the flock, protecting them, watching over them. The other word, pastor or shepherd, uh, talks about how that's done, the the way it's done. It's like a shepherd, which includes the idea of guarding and feeding. Those are the primary ones. Uh, the primary task is to to protect the flock and to and to feed the flock to make sure that they are. Uh, They are on the right food, not the false food. Guard them from the false food. Make sure they get the right food. That's, That's really kind of the ideas here. Acts eleven thirty is the first time uh, elders are are uh, really mentioned in the New Testament, and that's the case where the church at Antioch is sending Barnabas and Saul before his name got changed to Paul, and they're sending them to Jerusalem with an offering for the Jerusalem church. And he says he sent them, he sent that offering to the elders, to the ones who led the Jerusalem church. That's 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 the whole concept, the the, the whole idea there. In, in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7 and Titus 1 through 5, we have the qualifications for these men. And as I said, they're all spiritual qualifications. They're, they're very, very much spiritual qualifications. And in, in 1 Timothy 5, 7, he talks about the elders as those who, who, uh, who work hard in ruling and in word and in doctrine. Those are those are the those are part of their task uh, that are in, involved in, in who the elders are. They are the men who they are the men who, who who rule the church, who guard over it, who who keep the discipline within the church. They're responsible for that. That's probably one of the toughest jobs i think uh is is keeping keeping the sheep in line i guess you would say uh but the other side of that is uh they also they also labor in the word and in doctrine which basically you realize what doctrine means it means teaching that's all the word means i've heard people say i hate doctrine and you look at them go, so you don't like teaching and then they look at you like what you know, well, that's what the word means. You know, what we're doing right now is doctrine. We're teaching, you know, hopefully. Uh, but anyway, we're, that's that's the idea here. The word in doctrine in Titus one five, uh, it talks about they were to lead the church in the to lead every church in every city, which is kind of interesting because it gives us a little bit of insight. If you look at that carefully, it gives us a little bit of insight to what the New Testament church looked like. Every city had one church. It met in a whole bunch of places in houses. And what this says is every one of those house churches, there was an elder overseeing it. That's that's what the Titus passage says. That's the picture of it. Now, Corinthian churches probably, probably, it doesn't say this specifically, but you can kind of glean from looking at it, it's, probably the first church that actually had a church building, although Paul rented buildings sometimes to teach in for larger crowds, but The church itself and how it assembled, it assembled in homes. But uh, Corinth seems to have somehow got a larger facility. I don't know if it was somebody's home or a hall that somebody owned, what it was. But anyway, they had a larger facility, it would appear. That's the way we meet today. Uh, So the elders meet with the church together. So we have multiple elders that they did too. The elders oversaw the church in the city of Thessalonica the city of Ephesus, the city of Philippi, whatever the city was. And then there were elders overseeing each of the house churches as well. That's, that's kind of the idea that we get from this, uh, the New Testament house church idea. And then he goes on to say, he says, he says, therefore, exert the elders among you. Understand elders aren't off at some denominational headquarters. That's not where they go. Uh, they are in the church. They are part of the flock. The shepherds live with the flock. Yeah, we see a lot of sheep around here. You know, you drive across, you see those little trailers out there? That's shepherd. He's out with the flock. That's where he lives. That's the idea here, too. The, the, the shepherd lives with his flock. He's among the assembly. He's part of it. And also... In the New Testament whenever elders are talked about it's always elders. It's never it's never singular except for when it speaks of a specific elder. As here in verse 1 when Peter says he's an elder he, he also is an elder among the elders. So among the plurality of elders, the multiplicity of elders, he is one. John in 1 John and in no, excuse me, Second John 1 and 3 John 1, he calls himself the elder. Those are the only places it's ever singular, is when it refers to an individual elder. But when it talks about the elders of the church, it's always plural. It's always a group. It's never, it's never the idea of a lone ranger. That's, that, that idea doesn't exist. And he calls them fellow elders. Peter puts himself, yes, he's an apostle. He is an apostle, he was appointed as apostle. it was a very special job that was given. it was a limited job. It only lasted for a period of time. They once John passed because he was the last um, to die. once he passed, there were no more apostles. There, there is no succession there is no apostolic succession. It ended with them. the job passed to elders, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, that's what it talks about. It gives some apostles and prophets, and then it goes on down into he gives pastors, teachers, and and that kind of thing. So th- that's the idea here is is that there there is a strength in this idea of plural, plurality. It doesn't uh, put just one dictator kind of idea that doesn't exist within the church. Uh, there's uh, and and also there's there's a sense here of of humility. Uh, We don't elevate ourselves Um, just because God has given us a special task within the church. Incidentally, all of you have one of those. They're called gifts. And and according to Ephesians four, being an elder is a gift to the church. It's a grace gift to the church. They should be respected and treated that way. But on the other hand, they should realize they are part of the church. Uh, and they're, they're not that they're not above anyone else or they're not to get a big head they're not to be puffed up that's why the spiritual maturity in fact it, there's a warning against taking people who are too young because they could get puffed up with pride oh yeah um, Mr. Robson, you were saying that there's no like single head of the church uh, wasn't was James the brother of Jesus considered the head of the Jerusalem church he wasn't above anyone else. He kind of was... Obviously, whenever you have a group meeting, somebody has to organize and run the meeting. And he was that kind of guy. Yeah, the, the, you, you know... I, I don't think... So, I don't know. They are Incidentally, an elder is a pastor. They're the same word. they the same people. They're all the same. They're all the same people. Now, we distinguish it. We distinguish it for a reason... Because there are there are there are elders who primarily rule. There are elders who primarily teach. There are elders who primarily administrate, mm-hmm. and within that, the ones we call out to especially support are the ones who who are the primary teachers. So we've kind of drifted that we call those pastors, and that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand that as a group, they're all together. They all do the the function together. Yeah, there's going to be one one person who is generally the spokesman. Grant is of our elder board. Pastor Steve is our primary teacher. But the rest are all equal. And that's what... Peter is pointing out here: we're all equal; we're all fellow elders. That—that's the idea uh, that's being expressed in this text. Uh, there isn't a one-man rule kind of idea. There, there isn't uh, there isn't uh, one super elder that gets to tell all the other ones what to do. Uh, that's that's really the idea, and that's what Peter is saying here. You know, Peter is not declaring himself above the other uh, uh, the other leaders. He's not. Declaring any sovereignty over the church i.e. Peter right here in this statement is telling you I'm not the Pope I'm not Pope number one but at any rate uh, 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 and, and he, but he is a fellow leader he reminds all the leaders not to become puffed up with themselves or just see themselves as, as, as superior to other leaders or to that matter to the congregation uh, they are they are a special gift to the congregation and we in the congregation should recognize them that way. But they also should recognize that they have an They have an accountability before God for that congregation and how they treat it and how they operate within that within that. And then he goes on and he says he says and then he, he points out and he says. He says a fellow well, uh, elder and a witness, or in some texts it says a partaker. Or it goes on to say that in this text, he says a, a witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory to be revealed. So the, so, the first thing he says is he's a witness. He says, "I'm a witness to the suffering of Christ." Now, Peter was at Gethsemane. He saw the events that happened at Gethsemane. He followed Jesus from afar to to the to um, to the, to the high priest's home when the trial took place, and he knew what was going on there. We have no indication of whether he was actually at the uh, crucifixion or not, but he was hanging around. He was kind of hanging back. He knew what he saw the things that Christ went through, uh, and he knew what happened at Galgotha, uh, and he uh, probably certainly was aware of his treason during all of that in Mark ten six through forty-seven. Uh, so he, he knew about what Christ went through on our behalf. He had first hand knowledge of it, is what he is saying here. That's what he's telling them. Look, I saw what Christ did for us. I was there. I I went th- I saw these things. And he says he says, and I am now a partaker also of the glory that is about to be revealed. Peter had a foretaste of this, of course, at the Transfiguration in Matthew seventeen, one through through thirteen, when the when the incarnate Christ eternal glory burst through and came to light. He saw that. He was there. He was there at that moment. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's probably seeing that. He saw that. But here he's talking future. This is in the future. Uh, That's the tense that it's in. It's in the future. He'll be a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Um, And and he's also already made mention that all of us who are believers have a taste of that glory. In 4.18, uh, he, he wrote this. He said, And it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what, uh, what? Oh, excuse me, 414, wrong, wrong verse. Uh, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Uh, That's, that's current. Uh, That's current. He already, he says that's currently, but what he's talking about here is the second coming. He's talking about the full revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, He's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, all of those things that are encompassed uh, between, from the time Christ comes till the, till the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. He's saying, that's the glory that's going to be revealed. We're going to be a part of that glory. We're going to be involved in that glory. So he, he's saying, stick to the task is the idea here. Uh, yeah, things may get tough. Times may get hard, but stick to the task. Uh, yeah there is suffering but yeah there is glory yet to come <clears throat> John chapter 21 verses 15 to 19 so when they had finished breakfast Je- uh, Jesus said this is a, just uh, kind of a, a follow, kind of a conclusion to all this uh, uh, when they finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonah do you love me more than these and he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you and he said to him tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it a third time and he says, do you love me? And he said, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. That's the job of a shepherd. Uh, tend uh, can also be translated feed. Uh, that's the idea here. You say, "Take care of my sheep. Make sure they are well nourished." Incidentally, this text is an interesting one because because uh, the first two times Jesus asks him, "Do you love me more than anything else?" That's the word he uses. And Jesus says, "Yes, Lord, I like you a lot." Uh, the third time, the third time Jesus says, "Do you even really like me a lot?" And Peter says, he gets smart he declares his sovereignty he says you know all things <laughs> so he knows that's the idea here also just to, to bring this, this first section to a clu- conclusion I think it's appropriate that this refers very much to the 23rd psalm you realize we we use this psalm at funerals all the time but the psalm isn't for funerals it's for weddings it's for living uh, it direct it's directed to the living, and and he says here, and it says, Yahweh is my shepherd; I shall not want. That's the point. God is the ultimate shepherd; I shall not want. And he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the, by the quiet waters. He feeds me what I need. That's that's what he's saying there. He says, he restores my soul. He keeps me right. He keeps me right. He guides me on the path of righteousness for His namesake, for His glory so I can share in that glory even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I fear no evil because you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me his protection, his guardianship this is all part of the shepherding uh, format he says, your rod and cat, they, they comfort me. Before me, a, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. This is what Peter has just said. Shepherd the flock. Feed them. Care for them. Take care of them. And remember the glory that is to come. That's, that's what he said in this first section. And then he moves on, and he's going to now talk about how shepherding is done. And he says, verse 2: shepherd the flock. Of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those who are allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. So here he gives a list of, of things that are involved uh, that are directed at the shepherd uh, to how he is to behave in the flock. He says, first of all, he says he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. We've kind of already covered that. But he's saying, shepherd the flock that is among you. Take care of the people God has, has, and he's going to go on later and say, allotted to you, and we'll, we'll talk about that just a little bit. But he points out the ownership of this flock, as we just saw in Psalm, in Psalms 23.1. It belongs to Yahweh. It's his flock. That's, that's to whom we belong. We don't belong to the shepherd. The shepherd is given a stewardship to care for that flock. That that's the idea here, Uh, that he 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 is given the responsibility by God to care for that flock. That's 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 uh, that's what he is saying to him, and the and the flock is the church ultimately, the ones that Jesus came to redeem. Ephesians five verses twenty five b through twenty seven. It's interesting in the middle of telling a husband how to be a husband, he points to the example of Jesus Christ and what he did. Uh, the sacrifice he made. Uh, that's, that's, that's what this is talking about here. Uh, or in, in John ten eleven, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, that's that's the idea here. Uh, to the point that he gave his life to protect his sheep, to call us into his sheepfold, if you will. In verse 4, in verse 4 of this, uh, this text, he is going to call himself, uh, Peter is going to call Jesus, the chief shepherd. Uh, flock is really a term that is used of endearment it talks about the preciousness of the of the people of God to Jesus, that's that's really what it's what it's saying about my little flock. He uses terms like that throughout throughout the New Testament. Uh, that that it it, it it is a term of, of of caring and loving and concern. That's that's what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to say here, and that's what that's what Peter is saying. Shepherd the flock of God, and don't forget whose it is. Shepherd the flock of God. He says that is among you. Shepherds are called to be part of the flock. They're not removed they live with the flock I kind of thought about this for a little bit you know, we live in an age of all kinds of technology that I can't work, but nevertheless they got all this technology in the world today, and you know, we live stream our services, and there's tapes and all this kind of stuff, you know, there are people that don't do anything but just watch church they're not part of churches, they're not in churches, that's the downside of modern technology Uh, There's no eldership over them. Uh, You know, they just watch. Now, I appreciate the fact that we live stream because if we have a Sunday, we have to miss or a Sunday evening, we have to miss. I watch it at home. You know, I get to see it. Uh, It's not the same as being with you. It's much better to be with you. But but at least I don't miss it. And then we also other events and things that we have that sometimes, you know, d- just depending on your circumstance in life, you can't you can't be at. You can you can see those. So it's it's a blessing on one hand, but on the other hand, it's a negative because there are people that just then don't go to church. They watch it when they feel like it on TV. I uh, years ago when I was at West Park Baptist Church, relatively new, new in, in my faith and and in my walk, uh, we were having typical Baptist church. You know, we we're having. The evangelists come in and put on the big evangel the week long evangelistic meetings, you know, uh, which th- that was kind of the mode. This was probably mid 70s or something like that. And that was kind of the mode. And so we we did something we probably should have been doing all the time. We went out and we knocked on doors and invited people to church. It was a very low key, just do you have a home church? If you don't, we'd like to invite you to our meetings we're having during this week, and here are the dates. And I knocked on this lady's door. And I'm not real good at knocking on people's door. <laughs> you know, that's not my bag. But anyway, I did it. I knocked on this lady's door and I said, I went through our spiel. And this lady indignantly says to me, I attend Robert Schuller's church. And I naively said, not thinking, said, you drive all the way down there. And she very indignantly said, I watch it on television. She's not a part of Schuler's church, which is not a bad thing, but she wasn't a part of that church. Right. You know, she wasn't a part of that church. This is, we're to be among one another. The elders are to be with us. We're to be with them. That's the idea. That's what he's saying here. And he says, they're to exercise, they're to exercise oversight. That's the, the next thing he says. Oversight is the idea here. This is episkopos. It's to have a scope over, to look upon. <coughs> Excuse me. Shepherds need to know the condition of their flock. That's what this word expresses. They're to supervise that flock or to see what's going on. It means, it means that they may have to give negative input and it may mean they give positive input. Those, those are the things that need to be done there. Sometimes they have to be corrective. Sometimes sheep wander off and get into things they shouldn't be into, and they have to be corrective to bring them back, and they have to direct them into the good things. Those are the, those are the kinds of things he's talking about here. He says they're to exercise, they're to exercise, exercise oversight. And then he says, he says in that oversight, the becoming a shepherd is not to be by compulsion. In other words, you don't get dragged, kicking and screaming, into the eldership. That's not who these men are to be. Uh, you don't. Uh, you don't go out and and and. Uh and say, we want you to be an elder, come on, and you're, a, you're, you're part of it, however they may do that, I don't, I don't know. But, but anyway, that, that's not the idea, you're not to be forced into it. You know, basically, the first thing it says about an elder in 1 Timothy 3.1 is, is that if any man aspires to the office, there has to be a willingness, there has to be a desire, there has to be a wanting uh, to be there, uh, a wanting to do this job, a wanting to take it on you might at this point say oh he has to have a masochistic streak but nevertheless uh, that's, that's not true I'm, I was an elder for 30 years and, and it, it, it was a rewarding and it was a trying and it was a tiring it was sometimes a frustrating but hopefully God was honored you know that's the bottom line that's the bottom line that's, 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 that's the bottom line here he has to be willing. That's the idea. It's a willingness to serve. It's a willing. It's a wanting to serve, which is why, when you go to Ephesians four eleven, you understand what he's saying that an elder is a grace gift. It's a gift God gives, and he has to give the man the desire to do the job. That's that's the that's the that's the input here. That's the input that he's trying here. Philemon verse fourteen. Paul, he's writing to Philemon, and if you know the story, uh, Philemon is a runaway slave who uh, who uh, has come into contact with Paul and has come to faith. And Paul has found out that he was the slave of a good friend of his by the name of Philemon, and uh, Paul uh, decides that uh, the proper thing to do is to return the slave to his owner, and he sends him back, and he basically tells Philemon. He left a worthless slave, and he comes back more than a slave. He comes back a brother. But he says to, he says to Paul that he's sending him back, and this is why. He says he, he, he wanted to keep Philemon as part of his ministry team. Uh, or not Philemon, uh, Onesimus. He wanted to keep him as part of his uh, uh, team. But he says to Philemon, he says, But without your consent, I could do nothing, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion. Same word but voluntary Uh, that's that's the idea here that's the idea that people who lead the church they volunteer for the job they volunteer for the job it's not something that you force your way into it's not something you use for power it's not something you use to elevate yourself it's to serve it's a, it's a point of service, and he says, according to God, the, the NASB adds, according to the will of God. It's implied in the in the text; it's not actually in the Greek, but it's implied. Pastors and shepherds are this grace gift that we've already noted in Ephesians four, verse eight. Verse eight of Ephesians four tells you these are grace gifts, and and, he, and, he, and it points to the seriousness of the task. In fact, these leaders will one day give an account for the for the for the sheep they cared for, according to Hebrews thirteen, seventeen. So it's a it's a serious task and it's it must be done in accordance with the will of God. And then he goes on and he says, and then you don't do it because of the great pay and benefit package that comes with it. Uh, it's not for sordid gain. That's the idea here. That's what in the NSB says. Here it says for dishonest gain. Acts chapter twenty verses thirty-three through 35 Paul, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders says this I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes you yourselves know that these hands ministered uh, to their own needs and to those who were with them and everything I showed you that by laboring in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus Christ that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive uh, that, that was Paul's outlook that was Paul's outlook uh, it's it's you're not in it for now understand something you can make a lot of money out of religion. There are people who make tons of money out of religion. I did a little search the depth of my technological abilities is I typed in richest pastors in America into Google yeah. <laughs> and google said <laughs> here here here's a well they gave me the ten richest. Five of them were all in Nigeria. But anyway, at any rate, uh, the ones in America, Kenneth Copeland, $300 million. That's what his net worth is. $300 million. Um, T.D. T- 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 uh, t. Jakes. I forgot where he is. But anyway, uh, his, uh, his, his, his net worth is worth $147 Olstein is worth $40 million. Uh, a guy by the name—I don't know this this guy or his ministry—but Clifo Dolly, uh, he's in Georgia. Uh, he's worth twenty-seven million. And Benny Hinn—he's worth twenty-five million. Most of that raped out of Africa. That's not what That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what it's about. That's not the idea here. This. Uh, this behavior is typical of the false prophets. Notice, notice what Peter says. Whoops, I got to get back to Peter. Uh, what Peter says in Second P- in Peter, Second um, Peter chapter two, verses one through three. But false, fa- but false prophets also arise among the people, just as they will also be false prophets among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, uh, the way to the truth is maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgments from long, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Incidentally, in the KJV, instead of saying. Um, they're, uh, they're, it's, uh, they're, They will exploit you. It says they will make merchandise of you. That's what it says. That's the that's the wording. I like that wording. Anyway, that's not the that's not the idea. That's not the idea. It says, but with eagerness, not not to make a buck, but with eagerness. Um, this word has the concept of meaning willingly. Uh, eagerly uh, fiercely even that's that's the the service Uh, uh, the obtaining of wealth can't be in the nature of the shepherd Uh, he is is to be filled with enthusiasm for the word of God and for God's people those are are the things it's saying here he's to find satisfaction in, in serving Christ by serving his flock that's, 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 that's what Peter is, is pointing out here. He says, he says and, and then secondly, he does these in negatives and positives. Another negative says, not as lording over those who are allotted to you. Uh, Third John 9, uh, uh, 9 through 10 has the example of, of an elder who, who wanted first place. Uh, that's that's not not the idea here. That's not not what he's wanting wanting them to say. The word allotted here is a word that that means uh uh, uh that has the idea uh, that they are to serve the others who God has put under their charge. Is the idea? That's that's the concept here that he's saying that, that those that are allotted to you. It's it's an intense. Uh, to, to lord over someone is to have an intense domineering over people and circumstances. It's autocratic, it's oppressive, it's intimidating. Uh, and basically, the idea is very much typical of the ungenerated leadership. Um, and Jesus gave the t- standard, Matthew, chapter 18, uh, verses 5 5 and following he says but whoever receives one such child in my name receives me but whoever whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble it is better that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and he be drowned in the depths of sea woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come nevertheless woe to the man though whom the stumbling block uh, though the the stumbling block comes and if your hand or your foot causes you know the rest of this as he goes on through this uh, and he goes he finally goes into to the to the reality of what a true shepherd will do when he's in the parable of the lost sheep, you'll go and find the one. That's, that's the idea. That's the idea here. Woe to those who play stumbling blocks. Yea to those who redeem their brothers and bring them back. That's, that's the idea he wants us to understand. And then he says, but rather being examples. In other words, we should be able to look at our elders and say, that's what life is supposed to look like. It doesn't mean they're perfect. They're going to be flawed. I I guarantee you they're one thing, and and I've I've heard Pastor Steve say this, and I've heard others say this as well, and I used to say this all the time to our congregation. The one thing I can guarantee you is, at some point in time, I will fail you, but Jesus never will. That's the bottom line. But our lives are to, to be led in such a manner that you can look to us. You can say, there's an example. There's someone I can follow. There's someone I can listen to. There's someone who, who, who conducts himself in a godly manner. That's, that's, that's what this is talking about. Being an example, Uh, being an example. First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul wrote to them for you, for you yourselves, know, brethren that our entrance to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much struggling. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines the heart. For we... <coughs> For we never came with a flattering word, as you know, nor with a... Pretext of greed, God is witness, nor of seeking glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though the the apostles of uh, the, even though as apostles of a Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her child. In a, in this way, having a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart not only to you the gospel, but our own lives, because you became, being beloved to us. For remember, brothers, our labor and hardship, knowing working day and night so as to be a burden, not to be a burden on any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so and uh, so is God how devoutly and righteously and unblameably we behave toward you believers. Just as you know, we are exhorting and encourage you and bearing witness to each of you as a father would his own children. So that you would work in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. So, so Paul has gone through the list here, and he's basically said, here's the job. Here's the job. It's not for money. It's not for glory. It's not for fame. It's so that you will walk in the presence of God. That's, that's, that's the job. That's what he's called to do. And then he says, finally, he gives the reward. Because there is a reward for this. There is a, a reward for this. And he says, and when the chief, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, Jesus, that's the chief shepherd. When he shall appear, that's the guy who we work for. That's whom we answer to. He says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is called the good shepherd in John ten one, And in, in, um, in Hebrews 3.20 and 21, he's called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter two five, he's called the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Uh, and the idea here is, you don't forget who you serve. You serve the chief shepherd. This is whom you serve. Uh, and, he, and he says, when he appears, when he's made manifest, this is recalling the second coming again. He says, when he comes back, when he comes in his glory... Uh, that's that his saying here. He's saying you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Understand that in the Greek, in the Romo, in, in the Roman Greek world, in athletic competition, trophies were not awarded. Crowns were. They were made out of. They were floral wreaths uh, of some kind. They were kind of woven with some kind of vine, and sometimes they had flowers in them. And that's that's what he's picturing here. Now, obviously, they didn't last very long. You know, we we like to keep some fresh cut flowers in our house. And and sometimes, depending on how fresh they were when I bought them, they last three or four days. And sometimes they last maybe a week, but they fade and the leaves fall off, and the petals fall off, and make a mess, and we have to clean it up. Uh, But nevertheless, nevertheless, when they're new and fresh, they're pretty. But this says, an unfading crown of glory. That's what he says here. That's what he says. And it, it talks about a particular flower, an aramith, which in Greek literature was a flower that never faded and never lost its bloom. And that's the word Peter uses. This is a reef that never fades, never fails, never loses its bloom, never use, loses its luster. That's that's the idea here. It's an eternal reward. That's that's what it's that's what it's it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. And here. Peter is speaking of the eternal reward for faithful service of the elder, an unfading and eternal crown of glory. It's not the only reward that's received. Other, uh, the other believers receive as well other believers receive as well the crown of life in James uh, 1.12, the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.18 the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and I suspect all of those crowns are also unfading crowns they are eternal crowns basically what he's saying here is shepherding is serious it must be done by people who are willing and eager to do so and not for what they're going to get out of it, remembering that they're accountable uh, to God Almighty, but that they would, uh, but that the reward they would get from their, from their, <clears throat> from their master and would be the words of Matthew twenty five twenty three. well done, good and faithful servant. There's a little bit of a caution that I think needs to be reminded. He, uh, scripture tells us always that we're to count the cost. James tells us, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such we will, <clears throat> we will incur the stricter judgment. Believe me, those words haunt me every Sunday morning. <laughs> anyway, are there any comments or questions this morning? Yes? So, uh, you said that we're partakers of the board and to be revealed Yeah, yep. So, I wanted to understand, because here in Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord, which is my name, my glory, I give to no other. What does that mean, then, if we're partakers of His glory, but then in Isaiah it says that I share no glory? Well ultimately as we actually the series we're about to enter you're probably going to find all the answer to that when we get into this millennial series uh, but, uh, but uh, basically basically, uh, as, as has been shown throughout Peter in the New Testament uh, Christ uh, brings glory on his own people and basically it's his glory reflected in us is the idea is he's not diminished in any way. That's that the idea that, uh, that uh, God would share his glory. Somebody takes a piece of it. That's not the idea. Uh, We become reflectors of that. Glory is really the idea. We, 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 we become to resemble him and his glory is seen through us, but it's all back to him. The glory all ultimately goes back, goes back to our God so we don't we don't take pieces of it that's not that's not not the teaching okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. well let's close our father and our god we we come to you this morning and we we are thankful that uh that you by your grace uh totally unmerited on our behalf have called us into this family called the church and that father you and your Grace continued in that, that you gave clear instructions on how your church is to operate. It's to operate under its head, Jesus Christ, and it's it's to be led by godly men who meet certain qualifications that that in our language we call elders, shepherds, pastors. Uh, That these men oversee the assembly and they care and they feed and they direct. Uh, they discipline when necessary, they correct, they they strengthen, uh, they build us up in the faith, and we thank you for them. Uh, we recognize them as a gift from you. And Father, may we as, as individual members of the body uh, be in remembrance of that. Uh, and may they uh, keep the right perspective on their job. That they serve the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. And that they serve under him and under his authority. And that he would keep them humble in spirit and fearless in their work. That your name would be glorified and you would be lifted up. And we would thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.